after my freshman year of college, I came home and, and worked a summer. And um, one of the things I received when I went to that first year of school is I, I had a scholarship from the church that I attended. It actually was in Whittier where Ken, um, where I met Ken Weitzman. And uh, they handed out these scholarships to these college students. And um, one of the requirements for the scholarship is that you, when you went away, you got a mentor at school. Um, that would just kind of walk with you through the year and that you would meet with and just kind of guide you and direct you. And um, I did a lot of things that first year of school, but I didn't do that. Um, I was really distracted. I didn't study much. Um, I remember thinking at different times, like, I should probably get this mentor, but I just didn't do it. I'm like, ah, there's nobody that I really want to hang out with that much and mentor me. There's nobody here at this school, blah, blah, blah. I just kind of just made these excuses in my mind, not thinking much of it. And I came home and worked and, uh, for the summer and a couple weeks before I was to go back, I got a call, uh, from a guy named Bob Ladd. And that doesn't mean anything to you. Uh, Ken and Linda Janney may know that name. Uh, but Bob was the chair of the, the scholarship fund at this church and that, that I'd received the scholarship from. And Bob owns like half of Southern California and Bob company uh that he manages put the controls in the b2 bomber and bob is like six four and huge and old and gray and intimidating and is just a man of clout he was an overseer he was the just the stalwart of the church had been there for 40 years everybody knows bob ladd and so i got a call from bob saying hey jake why don't we go up to breakfast now, I'm, I'm a little nervous at this point. Bob is a nice guy. He's very grandfatherly. But it's kind of like if Bob calls, Bob just doesn't call anybody, all right? Yeah, President Bush, maybe he calls, right? He doesn't call me. And um, I remember being just a little bit nervous going in and kind of going, okay, what is this deal? And meeting at, at Mimi's Cafe. And he didn't tell me what we were going to talk about. We ordered breakfast. He was very nice and sat down with coffee and just started talking. And he proceeded just to tell me why he liked me. Jake, I, I just appreciate so much uh, your leadership in the high school group when you were here. Uh, I just love your personality. I love that you know my, my, uh, uh, my grandchildren. I love your father. I love what he does. I love your family. We want to support you in every way. I, th- I just think you're so great. He just went on and on. I'm like, okay, this is, wow, this is nice. Bob Ladd, he knows what's up, right? You know, and this went on for a little bit and then it got, then it got real. Okay. Then it got like, and then he's like, but when you say you're going to do something, Jake, I need you to do it. When this church gives you money and says as a requirement, you need a mentor, which is a good thing. You need to do it. Do you understand (laughs) anything you want, Mr. Ladd? And uh, I remember walking away from that very encouraged. And, um, yeah, maybe there wasn't a lot of people that I wanted to, to, to mentor me, but I was going to go find somebody. You can guarantee that. Um, and that's, that's how I want to attack this passage. That's how I want us to look at this. So if you can turn your Bibles to 1 Peter, we're going to be there. It would be good to open. We're just going to stay right in 1 Peter chapter 1. And we're just going to hammer away through this. And I use that illustration because that's, that's what Peter is going to do for us. 
the first 12 verses, he's going to say, this is who you are. This is who you are. Be reminded. Know these things. Sink your anchors deep into these truths about who you are and what you have in Christ. This is who you are. And it's going to be great. He's just going to tell us, and we're going to latch on to this. And then at the end, we're going to, we're going to zero in on one verse. He's going to say, and I'm going to need you to do this. Okay? This is who you are. I know who you are. Rest in this, but I'm going to need you to do this. This is it. And so this is the flow. This is how we're going to attack it. We're just going to move. I'm going to kind of fly over these first 12 verses. And, and my heart really isn't to just pick them apart. I may. But I want us just to be encouraged this morning. I want us to sit. I want you to hear who you are. I want to hear who I am. I want the word to tell me who I am. I want Christ to tell me who I am. I want to just look at this because Peter is speaking to us. And even in this context, as we begin, uh, Peter says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. So he's writing to exiles. And these aren't exiles in slavery. This isn't like being slaves in Egypt. This isn't Babylon coming and conquering the Israelites and hauling them away to another country. These are exiles living in city centers. They're not slaves. They're just living in a pagan culture. Dominated where ideas and imaginations and your view, the view itself is dominated by a secular culture. This is who he's speaking to. So it has an amazing amount of relevance for us this morning because you live in Bend. It would be like if he says to the elect exiles in Bend, in Eugene, in Corvallis, in Portland. Each of these cities, each of these cities were a city center where business thrived and people were going in and out. And this is where people would work and live. And this is where culture was. And Peter is speaking to them. So it has relevance for you as you try to live in this other God culture. As you walk out and walk down this mall and all these images telling you who you're supposed to be, what you need to buy, wanting you to be enslaved to those things. We live in the same time. We don't live in a Christian culture. Maybe that mindset used to be a couple decades back. But we don't live in a Christian culture. We are, we are believers living in bend, living in exile. So it has relevance for us this morning. It says, according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, and the sanctification of the Spirit, for the obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. And he starts out, and he, just, he just starts bullet pointing, saying, this is who you are. This is who you are. This is who you are. Blessed be the God. This is verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This falls on dead ears the majority of the time because we have used born again so much are you a born again believer you've been born again you've been born again it's like born again is just yeah i've been born again get off me right born again isn't regular right it's kind of weird when jesus says to nicodemus you need to be born again nicodemus goes wait so i need to just go back inside my mother's womb and he was a scholar of the day jesus like what Are you kidding me? 
But what Jesus is saying is everything is upside down now. Okay? You're, you're different. You've been born again. You breathe new air. You see with new eyes. You are born to a different way of life. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, it, it is brand new. You live a new life. You don't just go with the flow. You don't just succumb to culture. You are living differently, born into a new life. You have new eyes. You don't follow the passions of the flesh. Everything is different for you. You have been called out of the darkness that the world is in. You're, you're out of darkness and you are in light. You know who you are and you know where you're going. We don't live confused lives. We aren't, we aren't anxious. We don't worry. We don't fear. Those things don't define us anymore. We know who God is. We know that we are saved through Jesus Christ's resurrection from the dead. And that makes us different. You are different. You, are been, you have been born again. This is who you are. Sink deep into that. Let it define your life. Don't just shrug it off like, ah, born again, it's kind of weird. No, this is new. This is a new way of living. And you've been born again to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You have an inheritance kept in heaven for you. That's weird for me. I don't know what to think of. When I think of inheritance, I don't know why, but I think of a big pot of gold, like Lucky Charm style. I don't know why, but I think of this big inheritance. Like someone gave me going, okay, maybe it's not this gold, this pot of gold. It's a fatty check from my dad when he dies, which probably won't be very fatty because he's in ministry. It'd be like 50 bucks, right? (laughs) Thanks, Dad. (laughs) Just say you inherited. Grandpa dies. You inherit a million dollars. Okay, I can see that now. But you're in heaven. I don't know what I'm going to buy in heaven, okay? I don't know what this, what is this inheritance? Uh, if you're a junior hire and you say, hey, heaven's going to be awesome. And the junior hire goes, are there going to be water slides? No, can't be awesome. We just don't know what to think of when we think of heaven. It's kind of like, well, there's no water slides. There's no roller coasters. Can't be good. We're going to sit and stand and sing all day. Really bad, actually. So we have, we have, there's no idea when we say inheritance, it's like, yeah, that's great. It's undefiled and imperishable. It's a big shiny coin. I don't know. But there there has been a text that has grabbed my heart. At the end of Luke, Christ is on the cross. This is the darkest moment in all history. This is the most twisted, perverted, depressed moment. The God of the universe is hanging from a cross, killed by his own people who, who live in his own religion. And they're killing him, and all of his friends are gone. Everyone who said they were going to follow him, they're gone. It's dark. God the Father is going to forsake him. There is not a lot of hope at the cross. Yet there's just one, just this one beam in the middle of that drama there's these thieves on the cross and this guy's at his end you you ever wonder what it'd be like to know you're going to die in a few hours what are you thinking 
You ever sat next to someone that's going to die pretty soon? What are you thinking at that point? You're going to stand before judgment. It's going to be over. You're going to go to the mysterious unknown. What are you going to hold on to? What has your life been? This guy's life has been thievery. And he's there and, he, and he's starting to realize and he's just, he's got nothing left. And he can't do anything for Jesus. He can't go serve the poor. He can't, he's just, he's, he's physically nailed to the cross and he looks at Jesus and he goes, I love it. Just so simple language. Hey, when you come into your kingdom, will you just remember me? You ever just, you ever scrapped for hope like that? Yeah, that's, that's, that just moves your heart going, just remember me when you come into your kingdom. I got nothing left. I'm banking that you're just that, that you're the king and you're going to remember me. You've, and he's done nothing good. He wasn't an elder. He didn't sing in front of church. He didn't give his. He's a he's a thief. He's just going to remember me. And Jesus looks at him, and I absolutely love it because it just blows my mind. Doesn't make sense. He looks at him, the thief, and he goes, "Truly, I say to you, today." today you're going to be in paradise with me i love it that he doesn't say heaven i love it that he says paradise because i can see paradise i'm on a white sand beach with my wife and we are sipping a drink and it is just unbelievable we got the infinity pool just jumping off right there dude's bringing some more guacamole I got paradise. And Jesus gives him this gift. He says, today you're going to die and then you're going to go to paradise with me. We're going to paradise. Could you imagine if you were dying and Jesus said, we're going to paradise today. Yank that plug, dude. Let's roll. (laughs) It is, it is game. You know, I could see paradise. I don't know. I think we just get tripped up. We we just don't know what to do with, with an inheritance that's undefiled, imperishable, beautiful, beyond our wildest dreams, waiting in heaven for us. We don't belong here. We belong in paradise with him. And it's being kept in heaven for you. You're going to go there. Believe it. Let it motivate you. You've been born again and you're going to serve and you're going to live in this world and you're going to go to paradise and it's being kept for you. If you're a believer, that's what you get. Believe it. Listen to the words. It's kept for you. You're going to get the farm. Live like it. Live like you have an inheritance. Know that you're going to get it. Who by God's power are being guarded. You have this inheritance are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. You are so glad. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes. Though it is tested by fire may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You're going to get paradise, but it's probably going to be hard right now. There are going to be some trials. 
And he gives us meaning for our trials. He says, if hard stuff comes, you know. You know this stuff is coming to test the genuineness of your faith. And it's just being purified. God's just stripping away the layers. If, the, if you're going through a hard time, lean on this. Know that he's there. He's just cleaning you up. He's sanctifying you. You have a place for the problems. When the problems come, you have a place to put them. No one else in the world really gets that satisfaction. When something gnarly comes into their life, they don't know where to turn. They'll turn anywhere to ridiculous things. Not us. Even the trials serve a purpose. We get to know that. We get to live that. And we get to rejoice knowing that God is working that together for our good. And for the glory of Jesus Christ. Know that. Let that sink deep into your heart. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. And you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. I haven't seen him. You haven't seen him. But you know he's real. And maybe you're here this morning and you don't. Well, this is part of it. You're here for a reason, to hear that Jesus Christ is real, that he was the creator of the universe, and that he died to take your place. And you receive that by faith, and you receive as the outcome the salvation of your soul. You are saved. Oh, and about this salvation? Let me just stop here real quick. Peter says, let's just talk about this salvation. When we think about salvation, we think about the sinner's prayer and all the things that we have to do now. Maybe when it's fresh, it's not that way. Maybe when you, when you really accept Christ or when you decide to follow him, there is a sense of relief and peace and joy that's inexpressible, and he satisfies that. But those, that have, those of us that have heard this all along the way, we kind of somehow just get tired of this deal. And Peter says, oh, 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 concerning this salvation of yours, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquired what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. You live in a time of fulfillment that people desire to know what, would, what it would look like. Prophets died. Prophets gave their whole life testifying about the Messiah, and they didn't even know what it would exactly look like. And they wanted it bad, and they gave their lives. They stood in the face of evil empires and whole nations that didn't believe. Because the Spirit of Christ was upon them, prophesying about this grace that was to come. And you live in the fulfillment of that time. You know Jesus Christ and the grace that is now through him. It is not a mystery anymore. We can all be saved through Jesus Christ. These people longed to know. They prophesied and, and they didn't serve themselves. They were serving us. They testified to that. They testified to the good news and it's through the Holy Spirit that we receive this salvation. 
And not only that, it says this. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit. Sent from heaven, believe, check this, things into which angels long to look. That's weird. Don't know what to do with angels either. Angels protect minivans, right? I don't know what. This is what I do know. I know that there are angels that are with God right now. Okay? The heavenlies. And they're looking, not at anybody else, they're looking at you. In your seat this morning. And they want to know what it's like. They're going, what is it like to know this grace? Oh, to be a human and to know what it's like to know that salvation. That would be crazy. What is it like to live in that salvation? To know who Jesus is. To live fully loved and accepted through Christ by God. These these heavenly bodies want to know what it's like to be you. To be me. This blew my junior higher's brains when I was a youth pastor. And it, should blow, it still blows. I don't even understand it. But I know that they long to look. And they long to know. We live in the knowledge that the creator God. The one who hung the earth in the blackness. Sent himself, Jesus Christ, to this earth and died for our filth, our sin, our unhappiness, our pervertedness. He he died for it and he took that. God died in your place through Jesus Christ so that you could stand in front of God. You could stand in front of the God of the universe. You You can actually stand there. Because of what Christ has done and be fully loved and accepted. No guilt, no shame. As a a little human being, you can stand before God and he says, I love you and I want a relationship with you. I want you to know me and I'm just going to make you whole and you're going to belong and you're going to believe and you're just, you're mine and you can rest in that knowledge. That knowledge is yours. Take it. Peter says, this is who you are. Believe this. What is it like to live in that knowledge? Your acceptance doesn't come from anyone else. You're accepted by God. People can't hurt that. This is faith. We're believing. This salvation. And then he says... Therefore, in Sunday school, I learned to look back. Therefore, as a result of all those things we just listed, that you're born again, that you have an inheritance, you know that the trials in your life serve a purpose, this salvation is yours, and it's unbelievably beautiful, this grace that is now yours. As a result of these things, sink your life deep into these things. Therefore, believe these things. As a result, therefore, do this. He's going to tell us what to do. He just built us up. Now he's just going to lay it on and say, this is what I need you to do. This is how we should be. This is how we should live. 
But before we do that, before we get to what he tells us to do, there's something super important. Because as soon as he starts making lists and telling us what to do, we get really backwards really, really quick. Because all of a sudden, we'll run to what we need to do. And we find our worth in what we need to do. And if I only served a church, if I only sang a church, if I only did this, if I only did that, if I only did this. And we run to this doing because it gives us this sense of acceptance and that God really loves me because I wrote a big check this week. No, no. We do this out of who we are. We obey out of what he's already told us about ourselves. All your works are as filthy rags. I listened to a pastor stand. I don't know if you know who John MacArthur is. That's I went to the master's college and he has a college in this church that's 10,000 people. And this, and this pastor got up and he was just, and it was at one of our Bible conferences and MacArthur sitting in the front row and he's like, I'll just be honest. I'm a little nervous. And I was telling my wife that, man, I was just so nervous. Just preaching in front of John and it's just all the things he's done. He's so amazing. He said, his wife turned him and goes, yeah. And everything he's done is a filthy rag. And he says, it's right in front of John. He goes, so I'm bringing it like that and just goes on. I'm like, oh, wow. But it's the truth. We don't serve to be accepted. We are accepted, so we serve. This is works-based acceptance, and this will creep in real fast. That's why the hard work is belief. We obey in light of who we already are. We don't try and earn our standing before God. We are motivated by gospel realities, not by works-based acceptance. There is nothing you can do to make him pleased with you. Christ has already done that, and he is pleased with you. So that when he says, be holy because I'm holy, you don't get nervous. You know who you are. You know what he's done for you. And then you do. Then you, then you go be. Then you go do these things. That's how we're motivated. Motivated. So, therefore, verse 13, and this is where we're going to just try and camp for a little bit. Therefore, as a result of all those beautiful things, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You know, I'm a little disappointed because that is a whole lot of, that's a rousing speech. This is who I am. This This is just amazing what he's just told me. And then he says, therefore, preparing your minds for action. And I, I, I told you, I think in pictures. So when I think of preparing my mind for action, I go, let's go to the library and study. And that doesn't sound very fun. Prepare my mind, two plus two equals four, right? Got it, prepared. And that's actually not the literal translation. The literal translation, if you have a King James, it actually has it. And they took it out because it had to deal with the context of the day. But Peter actually uses this word picture from the Orient. And he says, therefore, girding up the loins of your mind. Yes. I don't know what that means, but it's a lot better sounding. (laughs) Gird up your loins. And And it literally means... It's an orient. It's a word picture from the orient of these long robes. And obviously, you can't run or work in a long robe. You start running around looking like a penguin. So what you do when it's time to go to war, when it's time to fight, when it's time to get some work done, 
you would tie this, this thing around you and then you would actually tuck these robes up into your belt so that you could move. You were free. You were ready to go. Girding up your loins was like, let's rock and roll, lock and load. It was a term like that. This is what you did when it was time to move, when it was time to act. Be sober-minded. Both those things, obviously another picture, movie I saw with Ken in Whittier, The Last Samurai. And he loved it. I think I remember. I think he loved it. I think he actually said, I'm going to take my son to go see that when I have a son. Still didn't have one, though, so I guess not. Ah, anyways, I didn't mean to go there. Anyways, we were watching this film, and it's, you, it's just great because the setup is Tom Cruise is this colonel in the army, and he's, he's slaughtered the Native Americans, and he's guilty, and now he's this big hero, and he's being touted around America, and everybody's just infatuated with the Western weapons, and so the East calls him over there to say, hey, we want these guns, we want these cannons, da-da-da-da-da, come train our soldiers, so he does it, and he thinks it's a joke, and he, he's halfway training this army, and they actually go out unprepared into battle, and they come up against the samurai, these trained warriors. And they have swords, and they have guns, and these guys obliterate them. And, and Cruz is the last one standing, and they actually he kills one of the main guys, so he captures him, and they towed him off to these hills, to this village in the hills. And as he kind of comes to his senses, he meets a people who are calm, and are disciplined, and are sharp, and are collected and who are family oriented and who are warriors and who are absolutely dangerous the pace slows they are ready to move at a moment's notice they have been trained their whole lives and they are calm and they are quiet and they are assassins and he just gets mesmerized he gets sucked into this culture and he becomes one of them that's the picture i get being ready always ready to go, ready to fight, ready to do what needs to be done. And Peter's saying, get this in your mind. Gird up the loins of your mind. I think of my cousin right before a wrestling match, just just get, just hyping up, just hyping up, slapping himself, just getting ready. I mean, we're going to war. And I, every time one of our dads would look down and goes, hey, be smart, wrestle smart. You know, because why? Because you're a teenager and you're like, ah, 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 you know, you're going to get crazy. And it's like, hey, focus, man. And you're like, yeah, okay. And it is. It's a sense of, yeah, I'm going to go to war, but I'm going to be smart. I'm going to be tactical. We're going to do this thing. Gird up your, clear out what's hindering your way so you can run. The tense is actually an heiress tense, which is a once and for all, once and for all past act. Peter is saying, once and for all, clear out everything that is hindering your way in your mind. Not for a little time and then let your skirt back down. Once and for all. Once and for all, clear out the envy, the lust, the impurity, the selfishness, the jealousy that is in all of our minds. Clear it out of the way. And don't do it just because I'm telling, telling you to do it. Do it because of who you are and what Christ has done. Clear it out of the way and let's go. Gird up the loins of your mind and be sober-minded. 
so that in two weeks, when you take a look at the suffering in the world or in your area, you are ready to act. You are calm. You make kingdom-motivated decisions to help lost people, hurting people, to help each other in this room. Be ready for it. Live in the light of this and be ready to rock and roll. He's just, he's firing us up and I love it. Clear your mind, prepare your mind for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully. Set all your hope, everything you got, it's completely perfectly on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Jesus is going to make everything right. This was easier for them in their day because they suffered a lot. They were actually persecuted. Actually, that's a a terrible thing to say because I believe that persecution happens here. I think it can happen at work. I think it happened to you. It may come in different ways. It may not be whips and other things, but it comes. And these people need hope. They need to be told that everything will be made right by Jesus Christ. So set your hope perfectly that he's going to make everything good. Because it's going to happen. He's going to do it. So set your hope perfectly and completely that Jesus Christ is going to make it happen. He's going to set the world right. He's going to set your life right. And I have a hard time with that because I so want to be in the moment. But I need to be reminded that I'm not the savior of the world. He is. He's going to get it done. Put my hope fully in that. Know that's how it's going to end. Know that that's the way the story ends. But he doesn't say at the rule or the reign. He says at the revelation. What he's saying there is the complete fulfillment of the revelation of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ has been revealed. So he's not saying, hey, sit on your hands and just go, man, everything is so bad, but Jesus is going to make it, right? Have the bumper sticker that says, in case of rapture, whatever. Don't just, you don't sit around. He's not saying sit around and wait for Jesus to make things better. He's saying he's going to make it better at the full revelation. But he has been revealed. Grace has been revealed to you right now. So clear your mind and act and be sober. One commentator said it was like the divine menu. Going to just the best meal you can think of. When you go and sit down, you don't wonder if dessert is coming. Dessert is coming. And it's going to be awesome. Glorification. That's our glorification. It's coming. Jesus setting everything right. Know that that's coming. But you still got a fatty piece of steak right in front of you. Your sanctification and the mission of God. Seek and save the lost. Love your neighbor. There is something to be done right now. So clear your mind. Gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober-minded. Set your hope fully on these things. And then he goes on, he says, be obedient. So for Antioch, what is it that you need to do? You have people that are sober-minded. You're not going to do something stupid. Things will be presented to you. That need to be acted upon. 
and it may be global, and it may be right next to you. You are free from a lot of tradition and things that other groups and communities of believers are hindered by. Don't create more hindrances. Know who you are. Sink deep into the anchors, these truths of who you are, and then act. Then move, then rock and roll. Live as the servants of God. Honor everyone, even the lost. Love your brotherhood. Fear your God and honor the king. 